Thank you for listening to the Redemption Church podcast. For more information about Redemption Church, please visit redemptionokc.com. You can stay up to date on sermons by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. Thanks again for listening. It's our fifth birthday. That's exciting. I was excited and reminded this week by a friend uh, that it was our first fifth birthday and that uh, I had some gray hairs coming in and uh, he let me be aware of that and I thought well of course I already knew that I have gray hair but I thought I'm not going to mention his name because Jeff has always been so kind to me and then this morning I was reading through my notes I was like I can't see my notes and so I just have to be honest I had to like make the font bigger and I feel like I'm a pretty young man but Jeff was like welcome to church planning so here we are uh, we're going to be in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. So that's kind of a popular passage. And what we're doing is we're continuing our series called You Can Understand the Bible. And today we're talking about you can understand the Bible in community. So we're going to take a look at how we ourselves understand the Bible again, and then also how we would understand it within an interpretive community or a believing community, much like our own. So if you're with me, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, that is in the New Testament. We'll take a look at verse 16. It says this, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that today you would help me and all of us in here to encounter you in your word. I pray that we'd see the powerful nature of Scripture and that we'd submit our lives to it. Lord, I pray that you would, your Holy Spirit would illuminate our eyes to the words of God today and we'd apply them to our lives together. So I ask that your love would shape us into the person of Jesus Christ. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Martin Niemöller was a Protestant pastor in the time of World War II and leading up to World War II. This particular, again, Protestant pastor actually voted and supported the Nazis twice. He voted once for Hitler in the late 20s and once for Hitler in the early 30s. His strong sense of patriotism and actually love for Germany kept him from denouncing these racist policies of the party. He was actually hopeful that through the Nazis, Germany would regain her strength and recover from the shame of World War I. However, what we find is the Nazis begin to take more away from the Christians and in fact took more away from Jewish Christians in particular. Niemöller actually finally and clearly spoke out under the Nazi regime. And after four years of complete total control by the Nazis, he was imprisoned. He was actually referred to as Hitler's personal prisoner. Niemöller would later say that he admitted the guilt that the Protestant church did not speak out against the Nazi regime. In fact, he said they were complicit and sometimes they were even supportive. The church was even supportive of the regime. Niemöller would actually famously say, and some of you might have heard this quote, he said this, he said, first they came for the socialists and I didn't speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews and I did not speak out 
because I was not a Jew. And then they came for me and there was no one left to speak for me. The haunting silence of the German church is remembered with shame. And many of us say, and many have said since then, historians, that the German conscience was actually seared. But I actually think today, we, including myself and us in here, have lost our prophetic voice. I think we can think about evils, and maybe you can think of some political or moral or social that the church has refused to answer and really struggles to answer. Often we'll fixate on what's outside of us, and we never really protest what's within us. So our own silence actually becomes deafening to the world because we refuse to look at our own faults. Well, that's encouraging, Caleb. (laughs) But what do we say? So what do we say against such evil that we find in ourselves, in our church, and in our world? Well, I actually think that there is something that can awaken us to poverty, to racism, to systemic injustice. What can wake us to that? Well, I do believe we have a prophetic word. I do think we have something to say to the gods of materialism and sensuality that have captured our own hearts and the hearts of our churches. And so what I want us to learn from scripture is today is this. What I think we'll find is we do have a prophetic word and the the main idea that we'll find today is that scripture is God's self-disclosure, and we'll explain that, that shapes your prophetic voice and action. Scripture is God's self-disclosure that shapes your voice, prophetic voice, and your action. And so I want to take this as the idea, we're going through understanding the Bible, but our community has a big place in understanding the Bible. So how as a believing community do we become this prophetic word for ourselves and for our world? So you know we're in 2 Timothy, and we're in verse 3 through 16, but the whole book of 2 Timothy really highlights how our faith can help all of us interpret and apply the scripture together. We're really going to explore what makes the Christian community, why do I need Jeff? Why do I need uh, my wife? Why do I need other people involved in the way in which I look at scripture? We'll actually find that if you look at 2 Timothy, we'll find that Paul could not have written this passage without the community of believers. So Paul will highlight actually himself. He'll he'll highlight the elders in verse 1 through 6, his own mentorship. He'll highlight uh, his mother, Timothy's mother and grandmother. And then he'll highlight the whole community, believing community. And he'll talk about all those different people. And Paul will actually say, as together, you need to interpret and apply the scripture together. And so to take our verse today and say, well, it just applies to Timothy or just to a pastor, just to to a minister, is actually to be reductionistic. It's to lose the point of the passage. So to apply it to all of us actually will show us the wealth of what this passage gives to us. So when we look at this text together, we'll be able to understand what is our prophetic voice and what is our prophetic practice. By the way, I want to, because we're also doing, I'm preaching, but I'm also talking about understanding the Bible, I want to give you a quick clue. I don't normally say this, but kind of explain some reasoning here, is often we'll pay or we'll pay close attention to what we call like the context of the scripture. And really the context is something like language, culture, history, and those sorts of things, because we want to know what did the author intend to say, right? Not what did I intend to get out of the book, but what was the author Paul trying to tell Timothy and then extrapolate that principle and apply it to us. Does that make sense? So we want to try to find out what the author intended. Let me give you an example. My wife, uh, she invited me to Thanksgiving uh, when we were first dating. We were just starting to date and, and we had been dating a few months. She invited me back home to, to Thanksgiving. 
And she said, you know, you can meet my parents, my friends, and I was going to see her school and stuff and kind of see those things that shaped her. Imagine if I was just like, yeah, you know, you're really cool. You just, you were cool. But all that history and that context that surrounds you, that it's kind of boring, and I don't really want to know, meet your parents. All that seems awkward, and I don't really want to know some of that, right? How do you think the relationship would have gone? Well, she, she wouldn't be sitting here today. <laughs> but the idea is that we, we kind of avoid this, this contextual side of things, the, these components. And, and, and so today we want to just pay a close attention to that as we ex- explore the text. It really will help us illuminate and understand the text actually together when we get some of what those people are saying. Okay, so with that in mind, what we'll do today is we'll actually explore three things about the Scripture. We'll explore three things about the Scripture, and what we'll find is that Scripture is, is comprehensive, and if you don't get all these down, we'll go through each one again. And that Scripture completes the minister, and Scripture compels your ministry. So we'll start with Scripture. God's Word is comprehensive. That's where we're starting. So this first attribute of the Word is talking about the comprehensiveness of the Bible. And my hope for you today, my hope for you today as you listen to this, I hope that as you read Scripture and you learn about Scripture, I hope you begin to see it as an encounter with Christ. That when you read the words of God, you're encountering the very Christ. And And then what I hope will happen is this will drastically shape you and drastically shape our community. So only after an encounter like this can we actually be this prophetic voice to ourselves, to our communities, and then to our world. So let's jump back to 2 Timothy 3.16, and we're going to see God's word is comprehensive, or some could say sufficient. It says this, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So what we see first in the the first part of this verse is actually that scripture is God's word. It's an interesting idea here. So it says all scripture in that verse is breathed out by God. This state is basically telling us, the text is telling us that all scripture, every part of it actually originates with God. It started with God, right? So that means the obscure prophecies of Joel, the weird stories about the kings, the story I was reading this morning about a left-handed guy stabbing a king and being a judge, all those stories are the very words of God. And so when we look to understand the scripture, we can't just read the fun bits, right? We actually have to get engaged in the boring bits, because even those, God says, are breathed out by God. Now, the, the, the next text not only tells us that all Scripture is breathed out, but it says this phrase, breathed out by God. Well, what's that mean? It actually can be difficult to translate. That's why it kind of has that kind of obtuse phrase there. But it's the idea where we get that actually God inspired the text. One author wrote that God is the immediate influence on the Scriptures. So the Scriptures are, are God's breath, His very words, Right? Now, this doesn't go against what I just said. This doesn't mean we can't read the text devoid of the context that I was talking about. Scholarship has shown us that actually the authors, like Paul, had his own style, had his own personality, had his own quirks in his writings. And on the other hand, 1 Peter 1.21 tells us this, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. 
So what we're exploring today is actually the idea of inspiration. But this inspiration wasn't a type of possession. Sometimes students will ask me about this idea of inspiration. It doesn't mean that God possessed them and they just wrote scripture, but God worked within their personalities in order to produce scripture. Now, John Stott says, a theologian, he says, there's no explanation here of the miracle. Basically, we find that our text says scripture is infused with the breath of God and that God revealed himself to us in scripture. So what we find is God wanted to communicate with us. He wanted to know us. He wanted to talk with us. He wanted to do his deeds before us. We find from the very beginning, God spoke the world into existence. We find the word of God going forth and creating the world. Not only we find that he spoke to us, but he accommodated to us. He accommodated to our language. He accommodated in love to us. And then finally, we find the idea of the prophetic word coming from God. Actually, that word took on very human flesh. And what does John chapter 1 verse 14 say? It says this, and the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. And word there is capitalized. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So stick with me here. So God's words became, took on flesh, and he became the word. And in the ultimate act of revelation, we read God through Jesus, and then Jesus died on the cross. We begin to understand the reality that we live in, the reality of faith, when we saw Jesus act and say certain things. He was the very word, the very logos of God. So therefore, I want to just make this clear. We're spending a little bit more time here, but I want to make this clear. Therefore, the word, the word of God, what you're holding in your hands or maybe reading on your device, the word is Jesus and Jesus is the word. Pretty simple. But what I'm saying is that actually Jesus is now living and active through the word of God. And it's not that scripture, it doesn't, scripture doesn't contain the whole Christ, but Christ is contained within the scriptures. So when we actually read the text, when you crack open your Bible, you are actually encountering the risen Jesus. I'm not saying there's other ways you couldn't encounter Christ, but one of the main ways God has given us his revelation is through the word. So Christ actually thought that scripture pointed to him as well. And he said in Luke 22, uh, 24, 27, it's it just a quick verse that said, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And so Jesus believed that, they, that the scriptures, the word of God pointed to him and actually revealed him. Now, as we get back to our text, you'll notice in the next verse, uh, 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 in the next section that we don't come to in 2 Timothy, that actually Paul encourages uh, Timothy says, you know what, you need to preach the word. Well, he, well, well Paul, Timothy can feel confident that he should preach the word because what's happened is now he realizes he's actually preaching the very breathed out words of God and therefore he is giving people an experience with Christ. So even today, not because of my words, not because of Jeff's words or Chris' words in song, even today you have experienced the risen Christ in the words of God, when, when Chris first read the words of God to now as you hear the words of God before you. So what's our prophetic word? What do we have to, for ourselves, for our church, and for our world? Well, actually, it's proclaiming the word, which is Christ and him crucified. 
So not only do we see that scripture is God's word, but we also see scripture is the change agent. Let's look at the second part of that verse in 16b. And it says this, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, talking about the scriptures. So it's stated, scripture itself is profitable, why? Because it's an encounter with the living God. So we meet Christ in the scripture, and through the spirit, we're taught, corrected, and trained, right? So scripture isn't some sort of, so, so sometimes uh, students will say, well, well, scripture seems to be like just my guidebook for life, or it's the rules that I make sure, the principles that I follow. Well, scripture isn't just celestial advice, right? We can't take this verse devoid of the context, which is in relationship to Christ, the scripture corrects us. So we can't reduce the text here. And so what we find is scripture teaches us that dependence on the Savior is a way of life. We're taught that the way of life is actually the way of love. We learn that because of Christ, we can come boldly to the Father to find grace in time of need. And then we are taught the height, the depth, and the width of God's love. Then if you look at your verse, you'll see that the word corrects us. But what it does is it corrects our view about ourselves and about God and about others. In scripture, Keller will state this, that we find ourselves more wicked than we ever thought, but more loved than we dared imagine. And some of us need to hear both of those admonitions. And then our understanding of God is actually corrected because the revelation of God speaks about himself and we don't shape him into our our image where our modern sensibilities shape him into an image like our own. We let scripture shape God into who he truly says that he is. And then we realize we're worshiping the true and living God. Not only that, but the scripture actually shapes the way in which we view other people. And so when we look at other people, the scripture tells us, well, you actually have a shared humanity with them and you ought to offer grace. And so scripture pushes us to offer grace through the relationship of Jesus Christ. Then you'll see the Bible teaches us about rebuke. And what it does, the Bible rebukes our own sins first. And by the way, this is is free as my dad would say. The, the, The Bible's main message is repentance. So the Bible's main message is repentance, not just for if you're out there and you don't know God, you need to repent. Actually, it's for me, it's for you. It's a lifestyle of repentance. The Bible teaches in rebuke that we ought to continue to repent because what? We need God, we desperately need Christ. And then the Bible, you'll see in your verse, trains us. Well, it trains us for life in the kingdom. We see that actually as... uh, Russell told us we we put on Christ's armor. And so with this idea of putting on Christ's righteousness, we're trained to participate in the kingdom. Well, how do we participate? How are we trained to participate in the kingdom? We're to serve the least of these. We're to defend the helpless and care for the poor and the untouchables. And I know that that can feel uncomfortable. I was preaching, I'm, I'm working in this sermon this weekend, thinking about how the scripture pushes us to, to, to interact with and to love people who are different, who are odd, who are untouchable. And I went to an antique shop in Edmond, because what else do you do in Edmond? And I went up to antique, there's a lot to do. Easy, that was a joke. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Yeah, just kidding. 
So you could, you, I went to this antique shop and I was in there and I was looking for something, you know, I was, I was looking for some sort of book and I'm ruffling around and I don't want to be bothered. And this person, this individual who God made, who God loved, actually came up to me and started asking questions really loudly and was clearly pretty odd. And I'm not trying to be mean. And my first reaction was like, oh, I got to go. And I just totally left that person. I thought, I'm, I'm trying to preach it. So I understand how difficult it is. And that's why we need the constant dependence on the Savior to go, hold on. I just encountered Christ this morning. And I need to go back to that person, engage that person in love. Because the Bible trains me. It trains me. It becomes second nature as I encounter Christ to interact with those people who are poor or untouchables. So the Bible is actually not something that stifles our desires, right? By just endless rules and rebukes and corrections. Scripture will actually stoke your desire by not encountering theology, right? Thoughts about God. Scripture actually encourages you to encounter the very living God. So we don't just find out things about God when we read, although that will be part of it. We actually encounter God in the very scriptures that we open on Sundays or every morning when we commune with him. You know, during the early days of uh, college, I was still a freshman or sophomore at the time, and I was dating a girl, not my wife, and uh, she w the relationship was quite uh, strenuous, and, and some counsel had told me that, you know, it might be better to kind of end this or slow this down, and so being a good Christian kid, I was like, well, you know what I'll do? I'll read my Bible and I'll pray that God would give me a sign. And so I was like, Lord, please give me a sign so I know what to do. And, I, and what did I desire? I really desired to stay with this particular person, right? So I cracked open the Bible, and lo and behold, there was a passage about marriage with the person's name in it. And I thought, oh my goodness, it's a sign. It's a miracle. And I closed my Bible, and I said, well, that's it. I found it. Praise God. And I went back, and I stayed in that relationship which was not good. What did I do there when I read? I look back on that and I say, oh my goodness, I treated God like a magic eight ball, yeah. right? I treated him as an it and not a thou. What I did when I read is I actually wanted to know something. I didn't want to know someone. So it's easy for us to read for our benefit. And I do believe reading will be for your benefit and to actually ignore the encounter with the living God, to actually miss the encounter with the living God. So what do we learn today from Scripture and God's Word shaping us? So our first application, what do we learn about Scripture as God's Word being comprehensive and completing us, or being comprehensive, excuse me? Well, what we find, I want to take a look at this, and I don't want to just apply this just to us, I want to apply this to our community. So as we mentioned at the beginning, what we'll find is that Scripture shapes you and your community, right? And so when I say community, maybe think of like church, you can think of even a small group or some friendships that you have. Those things would be an example of the, of the type of community you have. So as mentioned, we, we said that 2 Timothy is written not devoid of community, but in fact with community all intact. And I want to say this, and sometimes this can sound a little bit controversial to us Protestants, and I understand I'm right there with you, but without community... It's difficult, if at not times, impossible to interpret, understand, and apply the text. Why is that so? Well, sometimes I think, I, was, uh, I heard that and I thought, well, no, I can read the Bible and interpret it, but where did I get my understanding from the Bible? I got it from my community, from my father. My father passed that down to me. 
And in community, I begin to learn how and way in ways to read the scripture. I'm not saying I agreed with everything my father said and did about the scripture, but he opened that door to understanding the scripture. So I believe when our community, our church right here is shaped by an encounter with the word that we can apply the gospel together. You'll notice if you look at the book, it's almost impossible to apply the commands without community. So Paul, if you looked in that, he actually talks about care for the widows, the slave and master relationship, wives and husbands, and instructions for the rich to care for the poor. So what we find is we actually need a community faith in order for gospel living or for word-shaped living and for gospel comprehension, for for word-shaped understanding. So when we encounter the word, we're actually asked to participate in God's story and in God's story with those who have gone before us, with the universal church, the global church, right, that is without time and without space. So to paraphrase one scholar, what we do is we inherit the gospel. We inherit the word of the Lord. And if you're a believer in here, you've inherited Jesus Christ in the gospel. And actually, because of the time and space and history that we are at, we are then invited to use his words onto the stage, which he calls the world. And he says, we have the script, that is scripture, and we have the historical church to help us interpret and understand the, the, the scriptures. And then we have the believing community to do what? To apply the word together to our context. So no, we don't create the faith, right? You don't want to add the, you don't want to read the scriptures and come to church and be like, hey, I found a fourth person of the Trinity, right? We don't create faith, but we do actually take faith and imagine how that faith applies to our context right here in Edmond. So what we find is without community and without a diverse community, we lose the height, the weight, and the depth of scripture, So as you think about scripture shaping you in your lives, you actually want diverse applications of scripture from diverse peoples, right? I know that's a buzzword right now, but we actually don't want diversity just for diversity's sake. We actually want diversity so we know more of God because we have people who know the faith, who love the faith, who are orthodox, come to the faith and apply scripture differently. We get the scope and the depth of God and we get to know God better in his word. So in this diverse community, we actually become this prophetic voice, and we can do this through Scripture in Christ. And so as we encounter in the depths of Christ, we encounter His Word. So I would say this, community, whether you find it in our church or redemption groups, right? I hope you do in redemption groups, or Bible studies, this is the place where we're called to practice and participate in Scriptures, It's where we go to know God and know others, and we have the privilege to then be loved and love others. So what we'll find is community will actually put flesh on the words of God. We will mimic Jesus Christ in community by putting flesh on the very words of God. And through a diverse community, we will see more of the glories of Christ only in our relationship to a diverse community. So with our eye to the historical church helping us and giving us the gospel, we can keep in step with the word of God, imagining new and faithful ways to remain consistent with scripture. So to encounter scripture then is to have our community and ourselves shaped by Christ. 
there was a man uh, named Jonathan Edwards. Some of you may have heard of him. He was a very powerful preacher, and he was a brilliant theologian. In fact, a lot of them look, uh, a lot of people look to him to, to imitate like a, a good life of a particular minister. And, and, and many scholars will say that, that Edwards is the most brilliant theologian that America has ever produced. But Edwards had one blind spot. He owned other human beings. And what we find is, is his interpretive community actually missed the boat. Why? Well, their community lacked a diversity of voices. And in fact, one could say that the culture actually put down and didn't want those diversity of voices. Because we know within slavery, there was, there was believers and Christians who clearly would have interpreted scripture slightly different on that issue. And so what we find is, is his culture actually ended up winning the day. And his, pre, his prophetic witness is actually undermined. On the other hand, we have a man named William Wilberforce. And William Wilberforce was a British theologian in the 18th and 19th centuries. And what we find him is he actually fought for, the, for, this, for slavery to be outlawed. He, he went to parliament and actually fought for that. And because of his understanding of scripture, he was a Christian, that actually drove him to fight for the end of slave trade. He eventually passed legislation that ended that evil trade in England and, and actually a couple weeks later was, uh, died after he passed this. And so what we find is he was a faithful prophetic presence even in that issue because he allowed diverse peoples and diverse interpretations into his purview and that shaped him in the way in which he understood scripture. I sometimes start with this in class when I teach New Testament. I say, this is why interpreting scripture can be so dangerous. And I don't want to scare us from reading the Bible. I, that's not at all. I want us to read the Bible. I want us to take the Bible. But I want us to do it in the community. Because when we do interpret in a community, in a diverse community, what we find is that we can read with the ancients and apply scripture in new and, and powerful ways and actually avoid these cultural pitfalls. So we see in the first attribute that scripture is God's word. Now we're going to look at the second and third. So not to be confusing, but they're both embedded in that second half of the verse. We're going to look at the second and third parts of scripture, and we'll find that scripture compels, or sorry, excuse me, scripture completes your ministry, and then scripture compels your ministry. So scripture completes the minister, and scripture compels your ministry. So let's look at verse 317. It says this in verse 317, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So what we first see here is that scripture completes the minister. And what we'll find is we are meant to be a prophetic voice. So interestingly enough, as we look at, I was looking at this doing some study, the phrase man of God there actually echoes a common Old Testament expression meaning messenger of God. And so throughout 2 Timothy, we've actually, there's about eight or nine, four, uh, five or six, excuse me, references to this where, where Paul actually says, hey, remind them of these things, preach the word, teach the word, and goes over and tells them, be a prophet. And then here, he basically is saying, be like a prophet of old, right? Be the human carrier of God's message. So what did prophets often do? Well, interestingly enough, sometimes we can hear prophets kind of in an odd way. What are these Old Testament prophets? Because that is the picture that Paul wanted Timothy to get. He wanted him to think about the Old Testament prophets. 
And what we find when we look at the scope, and I'm, I'm definitely generalizing here, but when we look at the scope of prophetic ministry, what we find is the, the prophets were concerned about preaching the word of God and bring that to the people of God. So often, not always again, but often prophets were speaking to the believers, quote unquote, to those who followed Yahweh. And their primary message was one of repentance. And you know, we also offer that message of repentance through the gospel. We also bring ourselves and others into the message of the gospel and say, hey, repent, believe in Jesus. So we mimic the prophets in that way. And actually, the prophets also talked about sins of omission. Niemöller would actually say that it, the, the, the sins of omission are actually more dangerous than the sins of commission. So the things that you don't do, that they're more dangerous. And what we find is they would a- advocate for the, the treatment of the poor. So for example, Ezekiel will actually say, and you don't have to turn there, but in Ezekiel, he's prophesying against actually the, the people, the, the believers in Jerusalem. And he says this, the people of the land practice extortion and commit robbery. They oppress the poor and the needy and they mistreat the alien, denying them justice. So prophet called, prophets called for repentance and care for the poor. So as, as individuals and as a, as a group, we can actually call our communities and the world to repentance. And we can encourage them this through the gospel. And then as we show them the scriptures as they encounter Christ, they can then apply the principle, they can apply Christ then to the context that they have. So to be a prophetic voice then, for us to be prepared as a messenger of God is to pronounce the message of God to the people of God so that they actually live in reality of the risen Christ. The prophets are actually calling people to reality and that's what God asks us to do. Call people to reality and that reality that you find in Jesus Christ. You'll see the second phrase in there says the person is complete. And, and some translations you might see say something like mature or sufficient. That person is completely mature. And that, that means that person is, is another way of putting it would be qualified. That person's qualified to be this prophet. And so God is actually calling us to be this voice, preaching the gospel, which is the word, so that people have an encounter with Christ. When I started to hear that and started to think about that, so it's not necessarily that that this gospel message, this gospel message is powerful in Jesus, but in scripture, people actually find the risen Christ and he calls us to be that prophetic voice. But we're also called to be a prophetic presence. And so if you look at the second part of the verse, it says this, equipped for every good work. So scripture will actually compel our particular ministry. And the text calls us that in our union to Christ, we will be equipped, trained, and fully ready for good work, right? That's that's pretty simple what that text says. We can't really misunderstand that. But if we take what Paul is saying in all the pastoral epistles, he's actually saying that these good works are things like helping the widows, caring for the poor, pursuing righteousness, pursuing justice. These are all good works, right? And if we need more proof, we can go to Jesus who says, to really know me, to actually know me is to visit the sick. It's to care for hungry. It's to visit the prisoners. And so doing deeds of mercy like this, that's how you're prophetically present, right? So we actually call people to righteous, to to imitate us in, in righteousness, 
our prophetic presence, when we do these things, this speaks more powerfully than our words at times because it actually embodies our words. So what we find is that the letter encourages, even during this, even during being prophetically present, caring for the widows, what you'll find is Christians are actually called to suffer. And Paul will say, even during doing these good works, when you do these good works, you'll actually be called to endure suffering and to endure it patiently. Remember, the context of the letter, when we look at this letter, what we find is that the first century believers that were receiving this letter were actually spilling their blood for the sake of the gospel. And actually what we find in 2 Timothy 4 is that Paul was about to be killed and he knew he was about to be killed. Church history tells us that he was later beheaded shortly after finishing this letter. In fact, Paul would write in that same letter, 2 Timothy, our letter, he says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. But remember, what did Paul do at the beginning? Paul encouraged Timothy four times in this letter that you remember the believing community. Remember the elders who laid hands on you. Remember my aim and purpose in Paul. Remember the people who are around you at your church. And when you look to them, be strengthened in your resolve. I am strengthened when you are faithful. You are strengthened when I am faithful. That's how God wants us to continue in good works, even in the midst of the suffering. We can't do this Lone Ranger style. The Bible encourages us to actually serve together. So what we find is actually together we're the prophetic presence and we embody Christ's love. I have to have you guys. I have to have you guys. I believe that. In order to apply and understand the scripture correctly, in order to be a prophetic presence, in order to endure my own personal suffering, I have to have the church. I have to have community. So it's not just something that I got groups and I just enjoy groups. I believe deeply in groups. Groups is where you participate, where you practice the scripture together. So finally, the last application is what we find is scripture shapes you and your community as a, prayer prof- as a prepared prophet. Scripture shapes you as a prepared prophet. So we need to remember the Old Testament prophets did do their word, they spoke in words and their deeds and we do the same thing. As a messenger of God, we call people to the reality that is found in Jesus. And so if we want people to live in the reality of Jesus, what must we proclaim? We must proclaim the scriptures. And when we proclaim the scriptures, people are driven to an encounter with Christ and they must make a choice. Every time the word of God is open, you are driven to an encounter with the risen king. So whether it's our unbelieving neighbors or our saved brothers and sisters, or ourselves, we proclaim Christ and call for repentance. We proclaim the word of God and reveal Jesus. We proclaim the word of God and we reveal Jesus. That's the change agent. It's not more rules you find in the Bible. It's Jesus administering those rules through the scripture. It's Jesus' presence with that person. It's the encounter they have with Jesus in the word. We also see that we are to be a prophetic presence right? We're to be this presence, which means we embody the very words of God. So the Holy Spirit actually in the scriptures tells us that we are to be this participant in the kingdom of God. We are to be a word, a seen word, just like Jesus on the cross was a seen word. We are to be this seen word, this prophetic presence and care for the weak, the poor, and the disenfranchised. 
And that's how we're prophetic presence here in Edmond. So as we care for the fringes, we actually find that we incarnate the word, right? So as we care for the poor, as you care for the widow, you are putting on the word, you're being the flesh, you are the epistle, as one man said, that that person can actually read. Now, I want to be careful here because some, sometimes people hear me say the word prophet or, or prophetic and they, can kinda, and they can kinda have a lens on. And I want us to be careful, and including myself, we can have a, well, yeah, I need to be prophetic, I need to tell truth to people, right? And so sometimes we can use this as an excuse, and we can use this, and myself included, as a, as a way to subdue the world. And, and we can actually say, like, well, it's, it's all their fault, right? If only more communities in, our, in, our, in Edmond would preach the gospel. It's, it's their fault out there. It's those unbelievers. It's, it's those atheists. It's those who engage in sexual perversity. It's those people, right? They're the problem. And I'm so glad I'm at church with you people, right? <laughs> But out there, there's the issue. There's the issue, right? Or a culture at large, or even in, in, in Edmund, we might say they're the different issue. But I actually want to tell us that the prophetic word, actually the scripture, Christ, comes first to the people of God. And I want to be real honest with myself, and this, is, this was hurtful to do even during the week leading up to this sermon. The real problem is actually our unfaithfulness to scriptures. Right? The, real, the real issue is my own unfaithfulness to scriptures. Sometimes I can hear things like, well, I wish they would, people would, would be more like, like uh, preach the gospel more like myself. Well, I hope not. I hope, I hope people love themselves. Man, if everyone's like me, that'd be, a, that'd be a dangerous world. But it really, the problem is our own unfaithfulness to scripture. That's why our prophetic voice is weak. That's why we try to say something to culture and culture goes, yeah, look at your own, get your own household in order, bruh. Before you start speaking to us, get your own selves in order. And the word does that. I want to encourage you. I don't want to, I don't want to leave you beaten up. The word does that. The word shapes you into men and women uh, that are, look like Jesus Christ. And, and then we let the word of Christ dwell on our community. I'm not speaking abstractly. I'm not talking to the, to the Anglican church down the road, or the Presbyterian church down the road. I'm talking to us right here. The word has to shape us first. So we have to look at our own materialism right? Our own materialism in the church, the own materialism in Caleb Harper. And we have to speak out against it and then embody a generous spirit through sacrificial giving. This can only be done and said in a loving community. We then need to look at our own pride and say, what's our pride here? We need to repent. And as we do that, we need to actually model, actually do be authentic confessors to others. And this can only be done and said in a loving community. We should look at the way I, I just confess to you, the way we despise the lowly, and that happens in our church, and we should be a prophetic presence by caring for people in tangible ways. And this can only be done in a loving community. And this can only be said in a loving community. We should look at the way we neglect racial reconciliation, and we should repent. We should be a voice that cries for unity even in that, and this can only be done and said in a loving community. So I ask you and I ask myself, I ask myself these same questions. Let's look at our own hearts. Yes, be a prophetic voice, but be a prophetic voice to your own heart and then your own community. So I would say this, scripture prepares us as a prophet to our own house.
Now today, Paul has taught us a lot in these couple of verses. And what he's taught us is that scripture is actually the very words of God. And in scripture, we actually find Jesus. The culmination of all revelation was in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is the word and the word is Christ. And we encounter him every time we open our Bibles. And you have encountered him this morning. And then because of this, because of Jesus and the cross, we're brought into the timeless family of believers. And only in this uh, only in this diverse group of believers can we actually understand and interpret the scriptures because of Christ. So, you know, not all in World War II were actually uh, silent, and even those in Germany. There was actually a friend of Martin Niemöller, and his name, maybe you've heard of him, was called Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And Bonhoeffer actually did confront the Nazi regime from the beginning. From his first speech over the airwaves, he actually attacked the racial policies that went against the Jews. His small community, he was actually a professor, his small community was forced to leave his seminary in Berlin, and they actually had an underground seminary in the country. And these students actually read scripture together, they studied together, and they applied the text together. And under the leadership of Bonhoeffer, this became and continued to be a prophetic voice against Hitler. You know, Bonhoeffer actually had a chance to escape back to America and leave Germany, and he decided to stay, and he embodied being a prophetic presence to his people. Bonhoeffer was actually would continue to identify even during the very height of Hitler's power and would continue to identify with the marginalized groups. And he was later imprisoned for this speaking out, for being this prophetic presence. Two weeks, he went to a concentration camp and two weeks before that concentration camp was uh, uh, relieved by the allies, he was actually hung for crime against the Nazis. And what we find is Bonhoeffer was actually present in word and deed, and he endured to the end. His encounter with Christ actually shaped him into this powerful prophet. And so I encourage us, today we too, in the scripture, find the courage to live in the reality of Jesus Christ. We find the courage to encounter Christ and to live with him as our foremost value, as our foremost purpose, no matter our consequences. So I encourage you, church, we have a prophetic word for ourselves, for our community, and for our world. You know, in the words of Augustine, he says, pick up and read. And I would say, pick up and read, because where do we find the Christ but in the word of God? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have revealed yourself in love. Lord, I pray that we would be a prophetic presence here in Edmond. Let us be a community that loves your word and loves each other and loves the fringes. And so we ask these things in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen.